Welcome to All The Talk, episode number three. Today we have a special guest from Australia, living presently in the US. Uh, he is the Brett Hawk. Brett, Brett, welcome into my new show. And uh, usually we are, you are receiving people. Today is, uh, it's uh, you, the guest in uh, this new show. Welcome. I, yes, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, I feel strange being on the other side, talking to the interviewer, you know? So <laughs> thanks for having me. Brett, well, I'm going to go uh, start, on, start on the go right now. I mean, uh, we are in the quarantine. I wanted to have a little talk about, about it with you. How are things with you? How, have you what, how did you deal with it during that uh, period? Yeah, man, it's tough, you know? Um, I, during the conversations that I've had with people, honestly, uh, especially I talk to coaches, I talk to swimmers, you know, people at the highest level. And I think maybe even you've experienced this as well, where when you compete at a very, very high level, there are times where you feel a little depression after you come off a big competition. So let's say you go to the world championships or you go to the Olympic games, you, you kind of feel like a little depressed, like the, this, it's different and it feels weird. Like you come off this emotional high. And, uh, and I had a very similar feeling in quarantine the first few weeks, you know, they, uh, They said, you can't go out, you can't talk to people, you can't interact, you know, your whole life changes. And I, and I felt this depression, you know, uh, it wasn't, um, it wasn't like a deep depression where I couldn't get out of bed, but certainly had moments where I lost my motivation and, and I started, started to question things like, why am I doing this? Why, you know, and you start to reevaluate your life and what's important and what's not important. So Yeah, definitely the first few weeks, I think, were, were really tough in quarantine. And then you kind, of, you kind of get used to, you start to build in habits, you know. You start to understand that, hey, in order for me to feel good, in order for me to feel healthy, I have to, I have to exercise, you know. So over here in my living room, I bought a, a rowing machine, you know. And I get on the rowing machine every day. Now, I don't want to get on the rowing machine in my living room, but, uh, but it's good for my mental health, you know. So I think, I think in that instance you know everybody's had to face themselves it's like looking in the mirror you know sometimes you don't like what you see and you have, and no, you have, to, you have no choice no, no choice you know it's it's but it did feel good to know that in some way everybody was dealing with it you know it's like it's not just me you know i'm not here alone i'm in my house alone but everybody is in a very similar circumstance Like to me, to me, this this moment, like uh, the first day, like I was telling in the first episode, was uh, was very very hard because we were coming from training camp and stuff. And then I realized that uh, well, it wasn't a priority, and I could use that time uh, to feel a little bit better. And uh, and uh, you know, by just resting first, because you know, the life, the coaching life is crazy, and you don't mm -hmm. realize. You know, it's when you're out of it, then when that you realize that wow, it's very very demanding. And uh, now that we have a little break that we had to take, I feel regenerate, I feel better, uh, spend lots of time with my kids as well. So it's, uh, it's, uh, it's very nice. Uh, so thanks, thanks on that, Brett. Uh, I want to touch base on you. On, okay, uh, some people knew, know you as a, as a swimmer. Uh, uh, we have pretty much the same age. I'm 44, you might be 40. Yeah, I'm 44, yeah. Mm -hmm. 44, so we have, we have, we have same age and... Uh, and You uh, uh, end your career in 2005, in 2004 as a swimmer? When was that? I finished my career in 2006 at the Commonwealth Games in yeah. Melbourne. That was my last event. Then straight up 
you move to Auburn and establish yourself as a coach first and as an assistant. How did it start for you in Auburn? How your career coach started? Did you yeah. see this before? Did it come like naturally to you? Or? It's very, very strange. I had no intention of being a coach, really none. I actually came back to Auburn to finish my degree because when I left, uh, when I turned pro was back in 1999 to, uh, to try and make my home Olympics, you know, in Sydney, 2000, I wanted to make the Olympic team. So I left college early and, um, you know, I traveled the world for seven years with the Australian team. And then 2006 came around and I knew I'd, I wanted to stop swimming. I didn't, I didn't have any injuries. There was nothing like that. It was just mentally I was ready to be done and move on. And I just knew in the back of my head as, as a competitor, as somebody that kind of a perfectionist, I knew I needed to finish my degree. So I reached out to David Marsh, who's, who was still at Auburn. And I said, you know, could, could I come back and finish my degree and maybe help you out a little bit, you know? No intention to coach. And uh, I said, yeah, yeah. So one of the coaches, actually, when I, turned, when I turned up in 2006, one of the coaches was diagnosed with cancer. Okay. And, and David said, hey, I have an extra spot. Uh, do you want it? And uh, so I kind of thought about it a little bit. I was like, yeah, why not? Be, it can be kind of fun. And uh, he said, okay, if the first group I'm going to give you is uh, a group of 10 kids that I'm having trouble with. I don't really, I don't enjoy coaching them because they're, it, it's, it's hard, you know? So just take these 10 guys for the summer and see how you do, you know? And one of the guys was Caesar Yellow. And, you know, <laughs> Caesar was young. He was he was a young kid at Auburn, but um, he was in the 200 freestyle group, and he hated it. Oh man, he hated the 200 freestyle. <laughs> he hated training for it. He hated racing it. So he was giving David a hard time. So David's like, "Look, just take this kid and do something with him." So, you know, we we spent the summer working together, and he swam fast. You know, the, all the kids David gave me swam fast because we had fun. You know, I had no restrictions on my coaching style. It was just like go and coach. How come, how come Dave March didn't see that? I mean, uh, we are talking about the great Dave, Dave March, uh, Cesar Chiro. I mean, well, was, it, was, it, was he busy with some other swimmers? Like, he didn't see the potential of the, this guy? Yeah. No, for sure he saw the potential, but I think he wanted to... Um, Cesar, Cesar was a mama's boy. Big, okay. big time, big time mama's boy. So, uh, I think David was just fed up with him you know, crying all the time and okay. wanting to call his mom and just, it was just, David could see the potential, but he was like, look, just do something, give this kid some bring, fun. You bring know? him in, bring him in. Yeah, but he, um, you know, David's the head coach of the whole team, so he can't be personal coach just to one, one kid, you know, so it was, for me, it was just more of a personal experience where I could connect with him and, and everything clicked, you know, it just, it just worked. Um, And so I, I was very lucky at that stage to, to be introduced to Cesar Cielo. So, so very quickly, you get involved into his career development, 2006. Mm -hmm. We are very close from 2009, where he break the world record in the other three in, I think, was in Rome. Uh, you were coaching him. Uh, were, you, were you still coaching him that year, in 2009? I coached him all the way to 2010. That was the last time I coached him, 2010, yeah. Wow, so uh, you, you did not intend to do it and suddenly, okay, I'm doing this, I'm starting that, it's going so fast. Yeah. Three years so after, far. you find yourself on the distance we all, we all dream of, you know, the 103 and 46, how was that? Man, incredible. When he, when he broke the world record, 
Wow, what an experience, you know. Um, we were lucky because we had, we had the experience of the Olympics the year before, you know. So he won, he won the Olympics as a 21-year-old. First time in Brazil's history that they won a gold medal in swimming. So it, it changed everything. 2008 changed everything. It changed uh, the way he thought about himself. You know, now he saw himself as a champion. And, and when you have that mentality, you have that talent. That you and then you have, you have the mentality. It, it takes you to another level. So after 2008, he, he just went to another level. And so I had a very, a, a very incredible experience in the locker room in 2009. Um, you know, it, it was very, very hot in Rome. And uh, the final of the 100 freestyle, it was a very hot afternoon. Very, very hot. So we went to the locker room to put the suit on, you know, because the suit takes a long time, you know. And, and he was sweating. And so we just went in there to kind of splash some cold water on him and things like that. And, uh, you know, he, he put the suit on and, and he asked me to zip it up at the back. I zipped the suit up at the back. And then he looked at me and he just stared me in the, in the eyes and said, I'm about to break the world record. I was like, all right, man. Go for it. You know? <laughs> so I was like, oh, shit. You know, I haven't, I've never heard anybody say that to me just like that. And uh, so I came back out to my, my, my other coaches. I was like, hey, he told me he's going to break the world record. <laughs> and they're like, okay, it's going to be a fun race. So, you know, true, true to Caesar, he went out there and he, and he did it right there and then. It was, uh, man, it was an incredible. He, he did everything I asked him to do in that race. You know, we had talked about a plan. Mm -hmm. And uh, we made some adjustments after the morning, and he stuck to the plan 100%. It was incredible. Do you want to talk about that plan a little bit? Do you want to give us a little bit more details? I know there are some coaches out there who love sprint, who love to hear that. Yeah, you know, um, we were actually, uh, I didn't have analysis. Uh, and so my connection with the Australian team had a, a friend of mine who was doing analysis for the Australian team. And after the morning swim, he came to me and said, hey, you want Caesar's analysis of the, of the morning swim? I said, yeah, man, let me have a look. So he gave me the analysis. And as I'm looking at it, I realized he, uh, he, didn't, he didn't take uh, many strokes in the morning. He was very long, like very smooth and very long. It was a, a little bit unusual that he was that long. And, uh, and I saw Alan Bernard, you know, and... Uh, and uh, it was it was Alan who uh, finished second, yeah. yeah. And, and and Alan, uh, his uh, stroke tempo was a lot higher. And I said, look, Caesar, if you just push the first fifty by two tenths, just increase by two tenths, and and give me two more strokes, because I think he was at thirty-one strokes on the way down. I said, just give me thirty, give me thirty-three strokes on the way down, but I want you to go two tenths faster. It doesn't have to be much harder than the morning swim but I just want you to put pressure on it. That's going to force Alan to increase his tempo even more. That's going to burn him up. You're going to be long and smooth. He's going to be burning up. So I want you to stick. Just give me two extra strokes on the way down. And then on the way back, I want you to push the same way. I want you to give me two extra strokes. When you start into fade, I want you to dig hard and give me two extra strokes again. So we asked two strokes on the way down, two strokes on the way back, extra. And he, he hit it perfectly. We had the splits exactly the way we wanted it. 22-4, you know, 24-6, I think, on the way back, something like that. You know, and so the splits were – and he was boom, boom, boom. Everything I asked, he was perfect. Yeah. When you coach and your swimmer is uh, doing exactly the dream that you have in mind, it's, uh, it's, a, it's an amazing feeling, yeah? 
Yeah. Amazing, amazing feeling. Uh, you know, uh, you are talking, talking about the, the, the coaching aspect and you are digging into it from 2006 till uh, you're doing the Olympics, going to world championship and those stuff. And on your personal life, uh, how, did this, how did this change affect your life? Because uh, I know you have kids. Uh, you have, uh, how many kids do you have? I got four kids. Four kids. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, uh, and, and, uh, and your wife, a Jamaican wife. Of course yeah and, uh, and I know and all the coaches know as well that it's not something they, that it's, it's easy to deal with in our job because we travel a lot we are very busy we're working at crazy hours so how was it for you because you, you you went to, into it pretty fast and I guess it must have been a hell of a change no yeah it's a hell of a change I actually uh, I actually got divorced two years ago um, and I think what you're talking about right now is a direct reflection of that, you know, like when I went into the coaching, everything was happening so fast. Everybody wanted to come and swim with me. And then all of a sudden, David Marsh left to go to another team. Richard Quick came in and took over as the head coach. And then 18 months later, Richard Quick died of uh, brain cancer. So then they said to me, hey, why don't you be the head coach? And now I'm the head coach of the men's team and the women's team. So I went from 10 athletes to 60 athletes you know, in the space of three years, uh, major changes. And then obviously all the recruiting that you have to do and everything else that goes along with being a head coach. So I think over the years, it took its toll. I didn't know how to handle that properly. I didn't have the experience to handle that properly. So, um, you know, having four kids and being married, um, it added a lot of stress over many years and, and eventually it, it broke us, you know, and um, I still have a, great relationship with my ex-wife I live just a mile away from her and you know the kids are a great relationship but ultimately it, it hurt us you know so yeah I mean I, I love to talk about this because coaching is, is a very tough lifestyle and I think what we do as coaches is we're, we're givers and so we give we give 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 and we forget that hey there's other things that we have to have balance for you know I talk with Sergio Lopez all, all the time about this, you know, a lot of the times our personal kids think that we love our swimmers more than we love them, you know, because we're always worried about them and what's going on in their life and how can they get better. And we, we don't spend enough time doing the same things with our kids. Now I'm not saying that happened, but certainly there's enormous pressure. It's a, it's a balance that you have to keep. And, uh, you know, uh, sometimes you, you feel that you own, own that balance. It's all cool. I'm doing this. I do that. I spend time there. And, and suddenly you are gliding, going back a little bit, and going down a little bit, and don't even realize. When, when you do, it's way harder to, to do better than, uh, than we were doing before. It's, uh, it's, uh, that's uh, the hardest part, I think, in, I think in, the, in that job. And this is that quarantine right now make us even more realize how yeah. much time we don't spend with uh, our kids you know and stuff like this so it's 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 uh, it's, it's uh, definitely something very very hard to to do i have a lot of respect we can for the coaches we can keep that balance together you know keep coach at the coaching at the highest level and be able to keep a balanced life and yeah for their family i don't think there is many many of them i don't think mm. yeah <laughs> it's, uh, yeah It's very, very rough. It was, was it the reason why you decided to switch 
and change a little bit your, the, your career as a coach. Because in 2018, I think you decided to stop. 2018, right? Yeah, 2018, yeah. And uh, did you have in mind what you were going to do after? Or it came naturally to you? Or you wanted just to take a break? How, how did, this, did this happen? That's a good question because, yeah, normally I would, I would plan, you know, okay, I want to do this or that. I actually got to a point where I was so burnt out, you know. My, my, my marriage was falling apart because of the stress and the pressure. I was really miserable in the job. I, I, didn't, I didn't love going to work every day. I love the kids, you know, but I was so burnt out by all the stuff that you have to deal with uh, over many years. And um, in the college system, what happens is, you know, you go from August to March in the college system coaching for NCAAs. And then from April to August, you've got your summer season, you know, and if you have a professional group or if you have kids that want to go to, you know, international, there's no breaks, man. So you go from event to event, season to season to season. You know, when you do that for 10 years, it, it, it burned me out. So I actually got to the point. I didn't know what I was going to do. I just said, I went to my uh, athletic director and I said, I'm done. I can't do it anymore. That's it. Um, and and he's, he, he said, I respect that. That's good. But I, I just said, I have no idea what I'm going to do next. I just knew that, look, I, uh, I have faith in myself. I, I have experience. I have a reputation. So I, I knew that I could find something. I just didn't know what it was. So it was sure. a very scary period. It's great that you are talking about that because, you know, uh, uh, lots of coaches uh, dream about uh, high-level performance. They want to be there. They want to coach the best athlete and stuff. So I always try to, when I have the chance to speak with younger coaches and stuff and, and, and even other coaches who are still dreaming about that, try to make them realize that uh, it's a lot of time away. It's a lot of time away. Uh, uh, mm. Personally, my worst year, I, will, I was out like uh, almost five months. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wasn't, I didn't have any swimmer like you coach. I had uh, some good level athlete, but not as good as you are coaching. Yeah. So, and you do as many competition, many training camp, but still four and a half, five months, it's, it's still a lot. It's not coming together, but it's almost every two, three weeks your way, you know? And uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's something, it's, it's pretty demanding mm-hmm. and for them to make sure that, guys, are you ready to do that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just coaching, yeah. not just coaching and be creative and winning and stuff. And like you say, Cesar Chilo, there is a, a good part of it, and uh, you had fun and you achieved something in, uh, great with him. But when you start with him, uh, his, his uh, character, his personality make you work way harder, way hard as well to bring him uh, at, this, uh, at this level. So it's a lot of uh, work in the, behind the scene, and it's great, great that you are bringing those, uh, those, those topics because uh, coach have to realize that it's a uh, it's uh, more than uh, one challenge, more than uh, make uh, a swimmer fast. It's uh, yeah. you. I always think that you have to do your own planification, your own season plan as well. If you do the one mm. swimmer, you got to run yours. It's, I think it works, to, it works uh, good, uh, good that way. So talk to, talk, talk to us about now this, when this idea came to you. And uh, I'm, I'm, let's, let's do a little bit of promotion right there. All right, let's go. <laughs> um, well, you know, I, I, I knew the owner of Fitter and Faster Swim Clinics, um, David Arlock. It's his birthday today, actually. Um, 
I knew the owner. He, he actually was a co-founder of the race club with uh, Gary Hall Jr. Okay. You know, so many years ago, they started this, this club called the race club. Uh, many people have heard about it, obviously. Um, and, and David was a co-founder and he was also Gary's manager. So anywhere that Gary went, David went. So I always saw him around. We always chatted. Um, when I quit my job, he reached out to me and uh, he's like, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know. He's like, are you interested in coming to work with me and, and helping me build my company and, and do swim clinics? And this is what we could do. And I, I, was, I was, I hadn't even thought of that, but it was like, Oh yeah, well, you know, I want to stay in coaching. So let me think about it. So I actually investigated trying to find a, you know, make a pro team. I was going to make my own pro team. Okay. And, uh, and right before uh, a couple of days before I, I moved, I was going to move to Florida and start a pro team. Some, it just didn't feel right. It was like, it's, it just doesn't feel right. And then, uh, and then um, Bruno ended up getting an injury and, and having to have surgery because I was coaching Bruno Fratus at the time. And uh, he, he said to me, Brett, I need surgery. I'm going to be out for six months. And, I, and then I was like, okay, yeah, it, it's not right. I can't, I can't do this right now. So I called David back up. I said, yeah, let's do it. I want to I work with you. Let's go into the swim clinics. And uh, for the past two years, I've been working with Fitter and Faster, just traveling the country, organizing swim clinics. We, we do about uh, 250 swim clinics a year right now. And uh, it, it's a very big company. It's the, it's the biggest swim clinic business in the world, actually. And, uh, and we're very proud of it. So it's good. So about that company, I'm very, very curious about the level of impact you have on the athlete and the the, the, the swimming pool you are visiting. So I'm sh pretty sure that uh, you must have some good and moment or good story to share about that. Man, amazing. We get so many messages. I get private messages. I get emails. I get all sorts of messages from kids and parents always telling me like, you changed my, my kid's life. Like, or, or somebody that works for the company changed my kid's life. The outcome, the, the way they think about themselves, the way they look at themselves. Because it's not about just teaching kids what to do in the pool. It's we share stories. We share personal stories of success and failure, and uh, and the and the kids spend the whole weekend with us, you know. And they they get so much out of it, and then they come back to clinics. They they do one one weekend, they come back to another one, and they can work with uh, all sorts of different um, athletes, you know. So it's it's a great experience, man, and uh, it's something that I feel like I'm having an impact on the on the future of the sport, you know. It's very good. This is very good. I think we should have more and more of that coming up. Uh, lots of uh, business like this, for sure, are, inspired, are, going, I'm going, are going to inspire a lot of uh, other companies. It's good yeah. for, it's good, very good for the kids. I want to move on to another topics and try to get out of swimming a little bit and uh, mm -hmm. back on the crazy weekend, the final weekend that we have last weekend because it was UFC on Saturday. It was last dance on Sunday. And uh, I know that mm -hmm. a great fan of UFC. You watch the fight? I watched from the start to the finish, man. I watched fights for about six hours on the weekend. Yeah, I've, I love the UFC. I don't know what happened just a couple of years ago when I, when I got out of, uh, of, of coaching full-time. I had a little bit more time, to, a little bit more personal time, you know. So I started watching more UFC. You know, I was always a fan. But uh, then I just fell in love with the mentality of the fighters and the training and the and uh the combat face-to-face -face combat and then and then i started to understand the technique that went into fighting and uh you know there's so many disciplines um 
that, that goes into fighting. It's not just throwing punches. So, different, yeah, kind, of so against different kind of fighter. There is the, the boxer, yeah. the kicker, the wrestler. I mean, you saw... Uh, yeah, jiu-jitsu, you know, taekwondo, whatever it is. There's so many different ways that you can uh, fight, uh, combat, you know, and, and master. And so, yeah, you have different people matched up against each other. And it's so interesting to me, you know, when you have different skills that are matched up and they have to figure each other out. It's like a puzzle, you know? And, um, yeah, it's incredible. So I, I really love it. So I, I watch all the fights. I travel to UFC events. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I, go to, I go to Vegas. I, I go out to uh, Madison Square Garden. I, wa I watch it all, man. So you love it. You love it. Who is your favorite number one fighter ever? Well, you know, I, I, it was always Conor McGregor. Always Conor McGregor. But then, you know, he went, he went through some personal things, you know. And, and I, didn't, I didn't love that but but i love the way that he's grown out of it and come out of it. he's a family man now he's got a father this is actually uh conor mcgregor up here you know okay. I, ha i have him on my wall but um so i actually collect art now i collect ufc art it's all around my house uh, this is one of them but um yeah so i mean he's my ultimate favorite i loved his mentality i loved his approach i loved i loved his story he came from nothing to to being the superstar of the ufc so But yeah, I, I like all the fighters, man. Their, their stories are incredible. Do you think he's stand a chance against Habib? Connor? Uh, again? Uh, well, you know, Habib already beat him pretty good. So, <laughs> you know, I think anybody can win on any particular day. I think they're all capable of winning. It's just, um, but yeah, there, there's some guys that are very dominant. In, and Habib is incredible on the ground with his, with, his, uh, with his skills on the ground. So if he gets you down there, you're not getting up, you know? <laughs> Let's talk about uh, last Sunday because this is our generation. We grew up with Michael Jordan. Uh, lots of young people today, they don't really know uh, who was MJ back in the days and how was the NBA and basketball. Uh, for a lot of us, I think it was uh, more than inspiration, this guy, the way he was working, the, his level of competition and stuff. What do you, to me, level seven was like, At the end of Level 7, I was, I don't know, I, I was like a kid, oh, yeah. and, uh, crying yeah. at the same time. It was, oh, yeah. I cannot. Man, Man the, the end of number seven was so good. The last three minutes, I text uh, a couple of people. I was like, did you watch the last three minutes of number seven? Uh, that, that, that part of the documentary, if you haven't seen it, you've got to, you've got to watch it. But yeah. the last three minutes are incredible. Just, just sums up his mentality and, and the way he approached his athletics. And, and I like the fact that he said, look, it's not for everybody. I, I understand that. But it's for me, and it was for my team. And if you didn't want to be part of a winning team, you needed to get the hell out. So, you know, I see that in athletics too. I see that in coaching. I see, I see people that are uh, mentally a little weaker than, than others, a little bit more sensitive. And, uh, and sometimes in, in some programs, they, they do well in some programs, you know. But when you're in an environment where somebody wants to win all the time, they don't want to ever lose. You know, it's not okay to lose ever. When you're in that environment, you've got to be mentally tough. You've got to be emotionally tough. And, um, and, and that just wasn't uh, a good fit for some people. But for others, you know, like uh, Dennis Rodman, man, they, they thrived in that environment. Yeah, yeah. Like, it, it was – it is something. Like, I don't know – Like you, I was texting during the show. And I even text some of my swimmer as well to, uh, to, to be sure that they were watching because the level of, competitive, of competitiveness this guy has, 
even still, even still. He, oh yeah, still yeah. He, you can see it still. He still, he still finds things in his head to create uh, a competition in his head. You know, like. So you were talking about in about that last dance documentary. There is a moment where, of course, Michael Jordan is leading, and there is the okay, it's my way or the highway. Okay, and uh, he's running, he's running his his, uh, his team the way he wants, but. It means that he was he was starving for competition all the time, in even even in training. And as a coach, as a coach, I'm pretty sure that at some point in your career, and uh, we're going to end up with this, and I really really want you to tell me how it was to manage some of the top sprinters in the world together, knowing that they were going to race at some point against each other. Uh, it's a mental game. I know it's not. Uh, It's not very easy to deal with. At some point in my club, we had three, four, five good hundred freestylers, and uh, it wasn't easy to make them swim together all the time. So, yeah. how did you deal with this? Man, it was it was tough at times. I felt very blessed that I had the best athletes in the world, and then other times I just wanted to hand them off to somebody else and say, "Yeah, you take it. I could. I don't want this anymore." You know. So, 2009 was a very special year for me, obviously. Uh, I was coaching Fred Busquet, and when he broke the world record, uh, he went he went 20.9 in the, in the 50 for the first time, first time in history anyone had broken 21. Yeah. Uh, and I, I was lucky to be coaching him then, but at the same time I was coaching Cesar Cielo, who thought he was the king of the world in the 50 freestyle. So I have these two guys; <laughs> they both they both absolutely respected each other, no doubt. But they wanted to they wanted to be better than the other person, you know, they, they wanted to feel more important as well. And there were times where Fred would say to me, you know, you care more about Caesar than me. And then Caesar would say, you care more about Fred than me, you know? And, and I'm like, what are you guys talking about? You're crazy. Like, I love the fact that I have both of you, but I can't tell you that you're better than him or he's better, but, but they wanted that. They wanted that belief. Like you're better than everybody. And when you have the two best in the world, You just can't split it, you know. It was really tough, and so there were moments where I made Fred feel special. I had to, and then there were moments where I tried to make Caesar feel special, and that hurt Fred. So I think ultimately, what it ended up happening, it ended up hurting our relationships, you know, because uh, I couldn't strike the balance perfectly, because there was no there was no balance to strike, you know. I couldn't I couldn't satisfy both of them at the same time, and ultimately, um, you know, Fred broke the broke the world record first in the 50 Caesar ended up breaking it again after him you know and only two guys in history ever broke 21 and that's the, the two training partners you know months apart from each other and then they went to the world championships and Caesar won the world title and Fred got second yeah. so you know it, it was a tough one and then after that it, it broke apart you know it was, we so couldn't do another season oh it is when you have uh, you are going in the 53 final of a big meet So this is something like a lot of coach have been through, but I like to hear what you, how you are dealing with it. You have two swimmers uh, mm -hmm. the same final. Mm -hmm. How do you deal with your speech and the preparation before the race? How do you organize that to make sure that each of them have, because they have their habits. I know Fred a little bit. Uh, they, they have stuff that they want to do. They have uh, rhythm that they want to respect in their warm-up. So how do you deal yeah. with it? I mean, first of all, it was certainly something that we talked about before we got to the event because I knew it was going to be a, a challenge. And, um, and I was representing Brazil, so I was, I was with Caesar, you know. So it looks like I favor Caesar, but over here, Fred is with France, 
and I have to get him physically and mentally prepared as well. So, you know, we had talked about it before the event, but it still doesn't do it, uh, you, you know, any favors when you get there, they, they want to be number one, you know, and I could tell Fred was really craving like, Brett, I need you, Brett, I need you. And Cesar was like, Hey, you're, you're with Brazil. You come here, man. You know? So uh, yeah, it was tough. And like I said, ultimately it ended up splitting us because you, it was, you can't have two Michael Jordans at the same time on the same team, you know, like one of them is going to go somewhere else. And so, uh, it was very challenging. We figured it out, but it wasn't perfect. And ultimately, ultimately Caesar ended up beating Fred. And, uh, you know, I, I think Fred feels like he missed an opportunity maybe, you know, that he didn't have me 100%. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, no, but it's not, uh, it's not that easy. Brett, thank you very much. It was a great 45 minutes. We just had the... Uh... Oh, wow. That's 45 minutes. It felt like 15 minutes, man. <laughs> so thank you very much. Uh, I'm looking forward to probably invite you again if uh, my show is uh, working, uh, working all right. So I will continue to support uh, your podcast. Inside uh, Brett Oak, you can find it on podcast, Spotify, YouTube, all those Instagram, you can find him as well. So uh, thanks Brett, a lot. And uh, hopefully we talk, uh, we talk each other very, 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 very soon. All right, Greg, you're a good man. Cheers.